Four seconds separating shot clock and game clock. Westbrook looking for James. He's got it. Coming to the end of the third quarter. LeBron James, a shot in history. It's Kyle J. Andrews here for another episode of the Capital Crossover Podcast. And of course, NBA trade deadlines here. It's come, it's gone. It ended at 3 p.m. today. Today's February 9th. We haven't had a had a Wizards podcast in a while either, so I'll talk a little bit of Wizards. As you know, the Wizards got in on a deal before the trade deadline, but you know, nothing really at the deadline for them. Uh, and I mean, let's just let's just get started. I mean, let's talk about some of the things that have gone on since the trade deadline started or before the trade deadline. Um, you know, the Wizards move Rui Hachimura, guy that we talked a lot about um, on this show, for Kendrick Nunn a conditional 2028 second round pick and a 2029 second round pick. And I know a lot of people that we've talked to that are Wizards fans weren't too excited about the trade. Um, You know, it it doesn't move the needle. It doesn't do anything that many of us have been clamoring for uh, with this team. I, I think, you know, just adding another guard doesn't really, I mean, it, it doesn't do much. You already have, Jordan Goodwin, I felt like he was a guy that already had an opportunity to play more. And then with Kendrick Nunn on the team, I just felt like it completely muddied the waters for Goodwin. Um, And it seems like with, you know, Wes Unsell Jr., he likes these older players that, you know, have that experience. But at the same time, it seems like he's sacrificing that development for those younger players as well, which is very unfortunate. Now, Kendrick Nunn's come in, he's averaged, you know, about 17.7 minutes per game. Um, You know, his field goal percentage is a little bit up. It's 43.6%, nothing to write home about. Um, You know, he's only scoring 8.7 points a game, I mean, which is more than what he was doing with the Lakers. He was at 6.7. But the thing is, the Wizards have DeLon right, and they have Monty Morris. He only has to do so much. So... You know, his main mode of operation that the Wizards need from him is just getting that defense. But, you know, I'm I'm not here to bury the lead. I mean, there's been other big trades that have actually gone on that are outside of the Wizards. And, of course, we're going to get into that. And one of the biggest trades uh, is Kyrie Irving. I mean, the often talked about, often, you know, maligned, um, you know, whether that's within the media by him by himself, uh, you know, Kyrie Irving, the the tumultuous end to the time at Brooklyn, I mean, is over for him. I mean, it, you this team has been split apart piece by piece, system, systematically. Uh Joe Sy and and Sean Marks um, you know, have completely stripped this team down to you know, the nubs, it seems like. I mean, it is, it is no more Kyrie, no more Kevin Durant. James Harden got traded last year. And all you have to show for it, I mean, is actually a good amount. <laughs> so, you know, that's something that we'll get into. Of course, I'll get into that. Um, it's just me on the show today, just Kyle. Um, but, 
you know, we, I, I'm, I'm excited to talk about this just because I feel like there's so many big things that are happening in the NBA right now. And, you know, first with this Kyrie trade, you know, the Nets got Spencer Dinwiddie, Dorian Finney-Smith, a 2029 first round pick, and then two seconds. The Mavs got Kyrie and Markeith Morris. Um, you know, I I like the move. I like the move for the Mavs because, you know, you need to make Luca happy, right? You need to let Luca know that you want to invest in him. You want to give him something that he could be happy with. And I think when you know, you have a guy like Kyrie Irving on the floor with him. Maybe in the past, you know, if if he was a little bit more reliable, that is, um, you know, somebody that could stay on the floor, this would have been one of those moves that you would have been like, oh, yeah, this is wild. This is like the perfect move. I mean, I still, I like it, but I understand why a lot of people, especially those in the media, don't like it just because of, you know, Kyrie Irving's inavailability. Um, and I think that that hurts him the most. Like, you know, if he can stay on the court, now we have a situation where, you know, Kyrie and and Luca, who are some of the greatest creators in basketball history, even, um, they can go and cook. Now, defensively, on the other hand, they will get cooked. And and that's something that you know, for that team, you don't want to see, you don't want to see the Mavericks get smoked regularly if you are, you know, a fan of basketball, just because, you know, you want to see them go on a deep run, especially with this, you know, bevy of talent that they have, offensive firepower and and those alike. I mean, I think that, you know, of course, they had to ship out Spencer Dimwitty, Dorian Finney-Smith, Um you know, it's, it's a, that's, that's where I'm like, okay, the Dorian Finney-Smith trade that kind of, you know, clipped their defensive uh, firepower that I think that they had. Um, but, you know, that it is what it is that happened. Um, and, and his debut with the Mavericks, Kyrie Irving scored 24 points on nine for 17 shooting that's 52.9 percent from the field for all those that aren't good at math like I am um four rebounds five assists um you know just played very well I I was I was impressed with this debut um you know you could get into (laughs) some of the some of the weirdness that'll go on when you know, as time goes on, maybe it won't. Who knows? You know, I know everybody always says you give people a second chance, but it seems like Kyrie's gotten about five, six, seven, eight chances. But, you know, when he does play basketball, it's fun to watch. I'll tell you that. And now for the other trade with the Nets, you know, Kevin Durant, that's the that's a really big domino. Um, And, and some kind of expected that to happen as, as time go, went on. I didn't necessarily expect it to happen this season during the middle of the season. I I thought he would, you know, give it a shot to wait, but it seemed like the Suns made this deal realizing that, you know, Kevin was, uh, you know, available. He was, it was, it was something that he had talked about, I guess, with the Nets during the all season where he requested the trade previously, Um, you know, and now you have, Kevin Durant going to the Suns, which I think is, you know, that's going to be an incredible move for the Suns. They get a guy that is immediately the best player on their team, immediately a a championship caliber player, you know, one of the greatest players of this generation. And they add that to a team that already has had, you know, some finals experience. No, they didn't win it. But when you have an eight and at the five, when you have a KD at the four or the three, depending on what kind of, you know, lineup you want to run. When you have a guy like Devin Booker, who is, you know, a, a mid-range king, he can he can cook you in the mid-range. Chris Paul, you know, all Chris Paul has to do is manage. He doesn't have to shoot as much as he used to. 
Um, but they did have to give up a hefty amount of players. I mean, Jay Crowder, Michael Bridges, Cam Johnson, and then four unprotected first-round picks in 2023, 2025, 2027, and 2029, and then a 2028 pick swap. And then also, TJ Warren's headed to Phoenix in this deal, too. I know that they still need a wing depth in, in Phoenix, so that makes sense that TJ's going out to to Phoenix, and, you know, I, I feel like that's good for them. Now, Crowder also got flipped to the Bucks for five second-round picks. I've, I've never seen someone get sent out, like, I mean, for five second-rounders. That's insane. I mean, Crowder was on his way out of Phoenix anyway, and you figured that he would be a, a nice little piece for a uh, contending team. But, you know, getting him back into this Kevin Durant uh, topic, I mean, KD is just one of those players that, you know, he's special. He's special. He's a guy that, you know, can can do anything for himself when it comes to creating his own shot. He's a guy that can, you know, affect things defensively at times. Maybe not to the same level he could pre-Achilles injury, but he's still a guy that, you know, completely impresses the the masses when it comes to playing basketball. His IQ is off the charts. Um, he, he's somebody that, you know, will be talked about as one of the the best players that has ever played the game, especially of this generation. I mean, you know, it's funny when KD came in, of course, as most of you all know, this podcast is three Marylanders that do this podcast usually. So, you know, KD was, uh, he was hyped in Maryland for a long time. Um, you know, as in the state, you had guys like him, um, many other PG County greats that have, you know, ended up in the NBA, but he's the greatest of them all, you know, and he's also, when it's all said and done, possibly could go down as a, a top 10 player of all time. I mean, I, I feel like that's coming soon, especially if he can win, you know, a couple, if he can win a championship or two more. I mean, I feel like that that solidly puts him up there. Um, but with the Suns team, I feel like they give him that best opportunity that he's had to win the championship because the organization is in a better place, um, you know, management-wise, luckily. Now you have James Jones, who is a very experienced guy. He's at the front of the head off. I mean, that that front office at the head of that front office. Sorry. Um, but he's a guy that played in the league before. He knows what it takes to win. Guys really respect him. Monty Williams is another coach that people just he's beloved, it seems, around the league. And I feel like Kevin Durant being able to play for a guy in Monty Williams who, you know, Chris Paul and, and Monty really respect each other. Um, you know, it, it seems like that that's the same for, uh, you know, with Booker, Aiton, maybe not as much, but hey, look, you know, Aiton's been playing a lot better of late. They paid him during the offseason. I mean, they matched it. And, you know, he had signed that deal with Indiana initially, and then they, they matched the deal on, uh, you know, he was a restricted free agent. So made sense. Now, I will also say, that you know when it comes to when it comes to the nets that, that's a nice little haul for them um you know michael bridges and, and cam johnson are good players they're good basketball players and they're gonna hold on to those guys and the other thing too is that you have like 50 wings on this team this whole team is made up of wings so i'm i'm gonna be intrigued to see who's the ball handler on a on a night to night basis um you know, I I don't know. I mean, Cam Thomas is is there too, and Cam Thomas has been going off every night ever since Kyrie got traded, and then Kyrie wasn't playing. So, you know, I was looking at Cam, and we're in the midst of the game right now, but they're playing against Chicago, and Cam has 15 points. Well, no, he has zero points right now, and he's getting stuffed. But the two prior games, Cam had 43 points and 47 points. He shot 11 for 23 from the field, 15 for 29 from the field the night before against the Clippers. And then he played against Phoenix. And and Phoenix had, uh, they had Devin Booker back. 
So this isn't a slouch team that he was playing against. This isn't just any no-name Phoenix squad. So for me, I'm like, you know, adding adding guys like Michael Bridges, uh, Cam Johnson. Um, you know, you got you got, of course, um, before we talked about Dorian Finney Smith. Love, love that move for them. They're gonna be able to get some wing depth. I mean, that that's a great deal for them. And I think the Nets are actually going to be set up pretty well going forward in the future. They have a lot of cap room, have a lot of young players that, you know, are going to stand out. So they'll be able to make some moves during the offseason if they want. If they don't want to, I mean, it, it is what it is. You know, things happen. But let's, let's talk about some of the other moves. I mean, the Lakers, whew, Lakers made a ton of moves. I mean, they, they acquired Mo Bamba. Uh, we'll we'll talk about that one first, and that was for Patrick Beverly. Um, a very very interesting move. Um, Mo Bamba goes to the Lakers. Pat Pat Bev goes to the Magic. For and then also along with that, with uh, future second a uh, future second round pick and cash considerations. Um, you know, Mo Bamba has been a guy that been waiting for him to to get to that the next point in his career where he he just takes a step up and a young guy with athleticism that's playing with LeBron I feel like that's always a good thing for them right now it's it's other moves that are still to be made that you know stand out to me um you know it's it's a lot of guys that got bought out but before we even get to that we got the other Lakers move which was Russell Westbrook getting traded to the Jazz and I mean, he'll probably get bought out. That's what I'm kind of alluding to. But the Lakers and the Lakers and the Jazz, and also the Minnesota Timberwolves, uh, had a they had a gigantic trade. Um, the Lakers acquired D'Angelo Russell um, from from the Timberwolves, of course, former Laker. He is, if I'm not mistaken, the only player that ever played with Kobe and LeBron, or he's about to be. In LA, I mean, and for the Lakers, and I feel like that's a really cool thing for him. Um, you know, so maybe he could harken back to, you know, some of the some of the things that Kobe taught him while he was playing with the Lakers. Then you have um, Malik Beasley uh, coming from the Tim. I mean, he's also coming from the Jazz. Uh, Jared Vanderbilt coming from the Jazz, um, and then. JTA and Damian Jones ahead to the uh to the Jazz um 2027 Lakers first round pick also headed to the Jazz now Lakers didn't have to give up that 2028 pick which I feel like you know will help them going forward in the future um and then the Jazz sent Mike Connolly and Nikhil Alexander Walker to Minnesota which also is going to help Minnesota I think they get a guy, they get more adults in the room. No offense to D'Angelo Russell, but you know when you when you have a guy that doesn't have that same kind of rapport with, um, you know, I look at like Rudy Gobert, who's been there for a while. I just feel like that's a little harder for him to kind of, you know, move into that. And then, um, you know, we got <laughs> our old buddy John Wall. John Wall's going back to the Houston Rockets. Man, that sucks for him. <laughs> that really does. But you know, he's going to the Houston Rockets uh, in a in a three team deal. Um, it was the Rockets, Clippers, and Grizzlies. Uh, the Clippers receive Eric Gordon and three first round picks. Grizzlies get Luke Kennard. I like that move for the Grizzlies. And then the Rockets also get Danny Green. And I I expect Wall and Danny Green to both get bought out. I don't I don't think they'll stay there. Um, you know, I it just wouldn't be a good move for for the Rockets to keep those guys unless they're like, okay, we absolutely need these young guys to have these old heads around teaching them what to do and telling them, you know, what they shouldn't do too. They should be learning, but I don't think that's the case. I think they're gonna ship those guys out too, um, in the buyout. So then the Warriors traded James Wiseman as well and he he went to the Pistons um you know and one of the, and the deals also ended up with Gary Payton the second coming back um you know I really like that move for the Warriors but it also meant that they were giving up on Wiseman 
I mean, in that in that same deal, Sadiq Bay went from the Pistons to uh, the Hawks, um, and you know that that's tough. I mean, I wonder. It's interesting to me, and I mean, it's like I, I just I wonder. I just wonder, like that doesn't really move the Hawks' needle, and then they kept John Collins too. So I I don't know. I mean, but I like it for the Warriors. Warriors get. GP2, you know, good move, nice, solid move for them. Somebody that they're familiar with, someone that will, you know, do what he needs to do for them to win. Um, and then also just going down the list, uh, Jakob Pertle from the from the Spurs went to uh, went to the Raptors for Kim Birch, a 2024 first-round pick and uh, second-round picks in 2023 and 2025. Both teams announced Thursday the Kings traded for Kessler Edwards from the Nets in exchange for the draft rights of David Michinow. The league announced on Tuesday, and then also that came with cash considerations going to the Kings. Spurs acquired Dwayne Debman in the 2028 second round pick from the Heat in exchange for cash cash considerations. Um, And then, uh, you know, Earlier, I guess this was in Jan- on January 5th, the Celtics traded Noah Bonley for cash considerations to the San Antonio Spurs for a conditional for future second-round draft pick. The teams announced on January 5th. So just a number of things that have, you know, gone on. That's only part of it, though. And today, luckily for us, I mean, we got a, we got a special guest, but... You know, before we even get into that special guest coming on the show, we're going to talk about LeBron's greatest accomplishment or one of his greatest accomplishments. Um, you know, LeBron had some, I mean, he, it, it's, it's wild to be able to watch LeBron over all of these years. You know, as Wizards fans, he terrorized our favorite team. Um, <laughs> but, by the same token, he's been one of those guys that has been just incredible to watch. He's lasted for a long time, been in the league for now. What is his twenty? It's his twentieth year that he's been in the league. Very impressive. Um, and then on Tuesday against the Oklahoma City Thunder, LeBron, LeBron James, uh, LeBron Ramon James Senior, King James. You know, Elvis even. He was actually able to break Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's all-time scoring record. He went 13 and 10, 65% from the field, made 8 of 10 free throws, 7 rebounds, 3 assists, 3 steals, 38 points, and he was a plus 8 in the plus minus. But the Lakers lost 133 to 130 to OKC. Now, one of the most impressive things is the fact that LeBron continues to be one of these great players that we haven't been able to see. And, you know, we have never been able to see a guy like LeBron. LeBron can handle the ball. I mean, well, he could pass the ball like magic. He can go and in the way he's been able to develop that fadeaway jumper has been sublime. You know, he's still all this dude's powerful uh, at 38 years old, which is insane. It doesn't make any sense. You know, he's blowing through contact, taking a beat in every night, and then still somehow coming out there and, and hooping and doing it at this level. So it's, it's very impressive. Um, you know, I, I can't say enough about it. I think LeBron, you know, if he's not, if he's not number one, he's number one, a or one B, uh, you know, he's, he's definitely a goat, you know, I'm not going to sit up here and, and try to debate who, whether or not who is the goat, like if Jordan or LeBron is the goat, but, you know, I can't tell you enough. I've had a lot of fun watching LeBron over the years. 
Um, and I'm sure he's he's had, but he's also terrorized my, you know, my Washington Wizards. It is what it is, but a lot of people's terrorized them. So not surprised by that. But without further ado, now we are going to have the ringers on Mir and Fader join us for our podcast coming up next. So I planned this for for a little bit. I mean, I wanted to, you know, welcome in someone that I've loved their writing for a really long time. Um, you know, they wrote for Bleacher Report from 2017 to 2020, um, currently with The Ringer. And then not to mention, you know, just critically acclaimed by a number of people. Um, you profiled Giannis. Of course, in Giannis, the improbable rise of an M- NBA MVP. I have that book, read it multiple times. Um, you know, I've I've loved the way that you've done this. And we're going to, of course, just show you love on this podcast because, number one, you've done a great job with a number of different athletes that you profiled. And, of course, it's, it's the one and only Mirren Fader, um, number one. Mirren, how how are you doing today? And um, you know, what are your thoughts about some of the things that you've accomplished over the years? I mean, uh, you got a long list of of things that you've done. I mean, thank you for that intro. That was seriously the most kind thing. And like, I can't believe you've read the book multiple times. That is so appreciated. I was always like, is anybody going to read this besides my mother? Um, so I appreciate the support and and all the kind words. Um, I don't know. I'm, I have very big goals. I'm working on my second book. Um, can't say what it is yet. I think we're announcing it next month, but I'm so in the throes of it that I can't, I never even think about, you know, what you just said about you know, accomplishing anything because I feel like I'm always pushing upstream so much and wondering, will it measure up? Will it be this? Will it be good enough? I don't know. I I guess I'm just forever in that cycle of, okay, what's next? Like, what are we doing next? What's the next story? And I mean, you've, you've done a lot. You've accomplished a lot over the years. Um, just your rise from, you were at the OC register from not mistaken correct yes (laughs) a long four years (laughs) and it 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 felt like you know that that's when I really got to know you on social media like I I started reading your stuff back when I was still in college so I mean I was um I was a little bit late I graduated a little bit later than I expected to I I was supposed to graduate in 2016 but I ended up uh you know finishing out at University of Baltimore in 2018 but we followed each other for a really long time on social media it feels like and I've just seen you go from you know you covered so many things at the OC register then you went to BR and now you're with the ringer and here we are I mean you've you've done a lot and I mean that's a that's an incredible career that you put together so far man thanks for saying that and and thanks for you know your friendship all these years. That's right. Like, I think we are the longest, I mean, we have followed each other maybe since 2013, something like 2014. It's been, it's been a while. It's It's been been a while. It might be 2015 because I started a new Twitter, but like, I remember when, yeah. Cause I was like, okay, literally who wants to read about, you know, a golfer from Cal state Fullerton (laughs) or who wants to read, you know, um, I was doing Little League. I was doing um, basically everything that nobody wanted to do at the OC Register, junior college, high school. Um, I did something on four-year-old baseball. Um, it was a lot. And it's that's why it's so f- weird for me now because obviously like some, some really awesome things have happened. I feel blessed for those things to happen. But I'm always like, okay, but it was only how many years ago when I was at the OC register. So I, I remember what that felt like, you know, and um, so I definitely don't take it for granted. I feel really lucky to be able to do long form in this era for sure. And that, that's the biggest thing too. I, I just really enjoy long, long form pieces as a person that's still in the industry. 
um, even after all these years of, you know, having to grind out the the breaking news stories, having to grind out, um, you know, just the gamers night to night basis. Um, I always am going to appreciate those long form stories where you've actually had to sit down, you know, break things down and, you know, just piece by piece go every over everything and you're using so many different interviews that you've used through games maybe you've right. gone to um you know different practices or you just ran into people you know just on the street and you're like wow I'm really getting able to, I'm I'm able to dig into this and you know when I read your stories I I feel that on you know on the deepest of levels because you've been doing it for a while now um you know I've been doing it for a while now even though we're both still young we're millennials so are we still young thank you for that (laughs) i mean i'm not 30 yet i'm close i'm close Uh, i'm I'm 31 it's okay i'm I'm 28 but i'm turning 29 and like less than a month but you know (laughs) you know yeah it's just how things go but right you know i've definitely appreciated your perspective on things just because you're coming from things on a a person that you you're on the West Coast. I'm on the East Coast. I'm from a little small state that nobody ever thinks about, even though, <laughs> you know, everyone always, the only, the only thing that people know Baltimore for is, uh, are crab cakes in Old Bay. And then <laughs> in football, we have the Ravens, but, you know, over there in, in Los Angeles and in that area, um, you know, what are some of the coolest things that, you've been able to cover just in that region. I mean, it's, it seems like it's nothing but sports in Los Angeles. There is so much going on all the time. Um, One of my friends recently made fun of me for having like four recorders in my bag at all times. And I, I told them it was because when I was coming up, I had this dream that like, well, what if Kobe is on the street and I pass him and I don't have a recorder with me or I do, but it's broken. And then I miss the opportunity of a lifetime. So somehow it ended up being four recorders. Um, But there was always that sense of like, well, what if, you know, what if my dream comes true and Kobe's around the corner and I could interview him? You know, this was when I was like 20, 21, 22. And so, yeah, it's interesting. I've never thought about it like that, but you're right. Like there is so much going on. I think, Speaking of the OC register, you know, I felt the competition in the sense of like, we had a Lakers beat writer, we had an Angels beat writer, we had a Dodgers beat writer, Clippers. And I was like, well, I'm not any of these things. Like, what is my place? How do I, how do I succeed in such a competitive climate? Like in college, I got turned down for nearly every internship, um, never got a Lakers internship, never got the LA Times internship. Like it was really like stiff competition. And so I was like, well, what can I cover that is not mainstream? So like when I got to the OC Register, I spent three years working on this story about Japanese American basketball. Um, And there are these leagues all over Southern California. And it started in the internment camps in World War II um when japanese americans were imprisoned they still played these basketball leagues as a way to like retain identity and community and love and i found this one woman's team this one japanese woman's team that didn't lose a game it was rumored in 20 years which was crazy and they still play in their 50s and 60s and i followed them to the gym every like sunday for years and i wrote this piece and you know Maybe people listening, like, I'm sure, like, nobody has read it, but that story meant so much to me because, number one, it solidified why I love to do this, but number two, it was like, hey, there's interesting stories in your backyard, even if they're not famous people, even if they're not Kobe, you know, it, it, like, every story matters, and um, I I'm keep in touch with those women to this day. It's really cool. Yeah, it gives me it gives me a reason to keep writing. Right. I mean, it, it's like one of those things where, um, you know, for instance, I'm, I'm still covering high school right now, uh, but I also cover Penn state. And so the juxtaposition of covering high school to Penn state to covering community news mm-hmm. to, you know, a couple of years ago, I was covering the Orioles and then covered the Ravens. And then I covered Maryland basketball and football. And it's just so many different things that you have to kind of jump into, but, it just seems like those community and high school sports stories 
they hit right. so much you know differently than you know even covering the pros the pros they they're used to it they see you know mm-hmm. cameras and they have they have so many recorders held up to their face on a daily basis but you know those stories where you're really the one you're the only one telling that person's story I mean they they feel great and I've enjoyed that piece of of your writing for a long time um even even beyond the books everyone knows about the fact that you wrote you wrote this great book but um you know what was the what was the process of what's your process of writing a book? I mean, I, I've never done it, but I know others that have done it. Of course, we all know Jeff Perlman yeah. books, but, um, you know, it, it seems like you all have to put so much effort into, you know, whether it's transcribing things, um, you know, as reporters, we have to, we have to transcribe so much. And, um, but that the research that you have to go into it with, um, and a number of other things like what what was that process like for you yeah it was it was all those things that you mentioned but it was really hard because you know i had never done that before so what's the blueprint like remember the first article you've ever written you were probably like what do i do like i know it's due my editor wants this from me but i don't have a process and that's how i felt and um you know jeff i'm close with jeff and one of the best advices advice is clearly I can't speak how did she write a book um is um long form to books it's like same language different dialect so I'm doing the same things I am making the extra call I am interviewing every single person who is even tangentially related to the subject I'm trying to figure out every single thing that happened to this person every single person that's been around them um and now I have the time and space to do that on a higher level. So instead of interviewing like 15 people for a story, I'm interviewing over 200. In a long form story, you know, maybe there's a detail that you really want to say, or there's an anecdote, but it's maybe two paragraphs long. And your editor's like, we can't do this. Let's make it, you know, one line or cut it all together. In a book, it's like, those little things, those are two pages. So in a way, it it like gives you freedom to expand more on different images and stuff. But in another way, it's kind of harder because my biggest fear is the reader will give up. Like I like, I know life is too short to continue on with books that don't hook you. Like I, I will admit, I will rally to page 50 and 60, maybe 70. But then if it's not doing it for me, like I'm going to put it down. And that's my fear is that somebody does not find it interesting enough to hook you to keep you going so you want to be so selective with the anecdotes that you put so that that person doesn't give up on you so that's like well how do I not burn all my information at the beginning of the book so that once they reach the middle they're like wait this is so boring now like what happened you know so I think it's there's more of an emphasis on pacing and timing than there is in a long form Um, you've got to like not burn everything up front but give us enough to keep us going you've got to sustain us in the middle and then you've got to bring it home, which is really hard to do. You you know, you just exhausted yourself and hopefully not the reader for 120,000 words. And then you have to figure out how to put it all together. So, but the transcribing, I mean, I am in transcribing hell right now for the other book. And it's like every time I'll, I'll do like five a day and then it's like, I'll add five more. And it's like, this is not good. Like you can't, that's not how it works. You can't just replace it with five more. So something to work on for sure. But if anyone's listening and wants to do books, I highly encourage you to do it because books have lasting power. They really matter. And a lot of times with articles, it's hard because, I mean, the news cycle moves so fast and it's like, okay, well, what's happening the next week after your article comes out? But a book is something that people pour over, you know, I've taken like three months to read one book sometimes, you know, and I think when you can produce something that like people want to sit with, I think that's a worthy thing. And I definitely didn't know how to do it. (laughs) I'm still struggling on second book, but um, it's a constant learning process for all of us. Yeah, admittedly, for me, I took about, I want to say about six, seven months to read your book. Just because I I went through it slowly but surely, and I'm like, I want to be able to soak everything in and then go back and read it again. 
Um, right. So that first read, it, it took a while, but I was able to go back and I, you know, genuinely loved um, just a number of the things that you wrote. Um, and then we just talking with so many, many of my friends that, you know, in Baltimore, we have a really big Greek population, um, a lot of Greek American people in Baltimore. And, um, you know, because of that, they really soaked in the book. Um, I, had, I had a number of people that reached out to me that just discussed how much they loved the book, um, just because it it kind yeah. of delved into the, the I guess, the difference between, you know, someone being Greek American or Greek, uh, you know, just being Greek ethnically and then right. being someone that's actually, you know, they grew up in Greece and they may not be Greek ethnically, but they've grown up within that culture. Um, and that was something that I really enjoyed about that book, just because it went into, you know, Giannis's identity, but beyond just a basketball player and, yeah. you know, his, not just his race, but the fact that he exudes the culture of Greece, like he feels Greek, he is Greek. Um, and I think that's something that you perfectly painted in that in in your book. Thank you for saying that, because that was honestly one of the biggest challenges, because it is so complicated. And, you know, I think at the time when I proposed the book, you know, Giannis didn't even win his first MVP award. Um, he was like on the verge of becoming a superstar, but he wasn't yet Giannis, you know, um, it was clearly going that direction, but it wasn't the level that it is now. And one of the things that I think really intrigued me was his story was posited as such a fairy tale. There was all these Greek people that loved him and helped him and nourished him. And it was just very like fairy tale-y. And I just feel like with everything, nothing is all good or all bad. Nothing is, everyone was nice to me. Everyone was terrible to me. Um, so I knew that there was probably some nuance there. And so striking that balance was honestly one of the hardest parts. It's like, how do you convey that he is proud of his culture? He embraces his identity in all forms and facets, but also there are complications with that, not just in how he sees himself, but how others see him. And, and how do you talk about that perception in a way that validates his experience, which is people were very kind to him, Greek people. And there were also people that were really not kind to him. And it was kind of showing the full picture instead of just, oh, everyone was great or everyone was terrible. Um, and I think he, I think what's interesting for him is these next couple of years, how he will express um, his connection to Nigeria. And, and part of that we have to remember is that he is a young person. So I'm sure he's still figuring out how he feels about those things. And that's a personal journey and that's his business, you know, but I know there's a lot of people in Nigeria that want a deeper connection and tie to him, just like the way that the Greeks feel about um, Giannis. And so I think what makes him so wonderful is that he has the capacity and potential to have that connection with so many different people. So it, it's really interesting. And it's hard to write a book in real time, as somebody's rising. So I just I just as a basketball fan, I'm just really looking forward to what that looks like in the next 10 years, you know, I think so much will happen. And just spinning it forward to someone that I feel like Giannis kind of blueprinted his game off of but LeBron James of course broke the record for points scored by NBA player um went 13 for 20 65 percent from the field um it, it looked you know I I can't explain how much of a LeBron game that was um it, it looked like he was in his peak it looked like you know LeBron from 15 years ago um and you wrote a story about his you know connection to Kareem and how they they kind of go about things um you know you talked a little bit about Kareem going into yoga um Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was a huge yoga guy um as as we can see and um and I, I think it was the uh I, why am I going in winning time we actually saw a, a part of the show where Kareem was doing yoga in Beverly, I mean, Bel Air, where he used to live in his mansion. And 
Um, that was that was really interesting just seeing how, you know, LeBron, the parallels between LeBron and Kareem and how they took care of their bodies. And, you know, back in the 80s, of course, they didn't have the technology that they do now. But mm-hmm. it was so intriguing to me that they've done it so differently, but there were so many similarities to that. I mean, how can you speak to just the things that you wrote about when it comes to, you know, just comparing the two? I know they're totally different players, but it just seems like they have so many similarities and, you know, their their will to win and their will to to work on their bodies at all costs so that they can have a long career. Yeah, I mean, I was so intrigued by their similarities because, you know, first of all, when I was looking to do this story, I was like, well, how am I going to differentiate myself? Like, there's going to be a million articles. Um, I knew it. Like, there's just going to be a million. And every you could imagine people would write about his best games, his, you know, stuff about him, stuff about Kareem. And I was like, I kept seeing, well, who's better? Who would dominate in each other's era? This This sort of, like, sports talk fodder you know like who's the greatest and I was like I am not just not interested in any of that like I love the human story and so I was like what human story can I tell what is what is one similarity between them that I can focus on that will reveal as much about Kareem as it will reveal about LeBron Um, because they're always painted against each other and their relationship being really frosty Um, so I was like but what if we thought about it differently and um, I called up Bill Burtka, the 95-year-old Lakers consultant who's in the piece, who is part of 10 championships, because I was interviewing him for my current book. And I called him up and I was like, hey, I want to do something. I don't quite know what to do. I don't know what binds these two men together. And he, I was asking him about Kareem and he was talking about coachability he was talking about humility. He was talking about work ethic and drive. And he brought up that example that's in the piece about, um, you know, Kareem having like six MVPs in two championships. And he's listening to Burka tell him, hey, actually, we need to add a few moves and change this and take direction. And I just thought a 35 year old star who listens, who doesn't complain, who doesn't think I'm too good for this. I'm not I'm too big time to learn something. I just thought, what if LeBron was like that too? And so I called up a lot of people that played with LeBron and coached LeBron. And what they share is as crazy as it sounds, because they're both really confident men and uh, very self-assured. They have a humility to them. They have a humility that is just no matter how big I get, no matter how many points I score, no matter how many MVPs I win or championships, I can always get better. And it's a real intellectual thing that they both have. You know, I know people make fun of the LeBron meme with the book, but, you know, and (laughs) we know Kareem was a book reader, but really they are intellectual in their pursuit of excellence and they were studiers. And so I just, I think they're true students of the game. And I think it's an underrated thing. I think in our culture, we tend to overemphasize the physicality of players Oh, look at his athleticism. Oh, look at his wingspan. Oh, look at this. He's so dominant. But it's like, it's the mind. Kareem played till he was 42. You know, LeBron, 38. It's the mind. And so I just thought it would be so cool to do a story talking about the mental um, strength of these two people. Yeah, it, you know, I realized too that you always see a ton of NBA players go to WNBA games and you could see the mental aspect of the WNBA game is like all the way up here. Um, you know, it's, it's so smooth and it, it seems like both of these players are just students of the game that you don't usually see in the NBA. Um, I, I see it in the WNBA all the time or, you know, even women's college basketball. And I feel like their coachability on the NBA side is just something that sets them apart from so many others. It seems like, you know, you talk about Jeff green and and the story where, you know, Jeff green only could keep at it for about four to five days. And he just, you know, went kaput after that. I mean, for LeBron to be able to keep this up and to be able to keep it up at such a long time and not get hurt um, significantly. I mean, it's, it's, it's stuff of legends and same thing goes for Kareem. Um, And I hope that 
hopefully in a in the future we don't forget how great Kareem was just because I, I feel like people have rewritten history so much or have tried to rewrite history with, you know, the way Kareem played. And they're like, well, it was a different game back then. And, you know, things have changed. But to, for this record to hold up the way that it's held up, especially when he did it on, you know, how many threes did he have? Six. I mean, well, he he didn't have uh, he didn't have that many threes if any, um, that I remember, but, um, just for him to be able to do this is, is just incredible. And then have LeBron pass that mark. And we've been able to witness that, uh, no pun intended with LeBron. <laughs> that was nice. <laughs> but, um, that, that's been a great joy for basketball fans. I, I think that at least the ones that, you know, I'm a I'm a I, I grew up a Wizards fan, uh, but and LeBron terrorized the Wizards a ton, but it's still been enjoyable to just watch LeBron do the things that he's been able to do, and you know I feel like your your story fully encapsulated that. Yeah, no, thank you for saying that. I mean, Kareem played an average of seventy eight games per year for twenty years against Bill Russell types. Nate Thurman, Wilt Chamberlain, can you imagine the beating he took every freaking night? And then you have a flight at, you know, a commercial flight at like 6 a.m. in some random city, and then you're going to the next one. I mean, I have such an appreciation for Kareem, and that's why I was like, I don't want this to just be a LeBron article. I enjoy this idea of student of the game because I still feel like I'm a student of the game. Like I, and I know you are too, you know, all your questions are so insightful. Like you care about sports in a way that I care about sports, which is just, we care about history. You know, it's not just all about the right now. And I just, I feel when I see people um, just, I don't know, saying outlandish things just for the sake of it about current day players, I'm like, do you know how lucky we are to be watching these people? Like sometimes I just, it's, and I don't know if it's because like interviewing them and you see how normal they are. Like they're just regular people that happen to be awesome at a sport and genetically superior in every way (laughs) with athleticism. But we are so lucky to be witnessing this era of basketball. I mean, it's really insane. The talent that we all get to watch and critique night in and night out. And the fact that, like, some people were complaining about, like, the game being stopped. I was like, you're kidding me. Stop it. Like, I want to soak in this moment, you know? Um, So, yeah, I just, I don't know. I I find myself loving basketball in a different way at this age and this year, you know, growing up as somebody who played it and grew up in L.A. And, you know, LeBron means something to us here in L.A. in a very unique way. And Kareem really means something to us here in a unique way. So even though Kareem wasn't my era, it's like the respect that I have for him is enormous. So I just really wanted to make sure the piece talked about him as well. And like I said, you did an outstanding job of encapsulating all of that. Um, and it, it also, I guess, Going past that, too, just with your time at The Ringer, I mean, you've written with a, a ton of great um, people. Uh, you work work there. And, I mean, how has that experience been, just being able to be surrounded about around so much talent? I mean, it, it's so many people that have done great things or great features writers or they could cover games with the best of them. I mean, what, what's that experience been like? Yeah, you know, I I really like it. I'm really fortunate to be there. Um, you know, VR pretty much laid off everyone except for me, like during the pandemic. And so I knew that, you know, unfortunately that wasn't a place I could stay anymore. I didn't have an editor anymore. It was horrible. And those were my best friends. And so um that was a really hard time for me in 2020. I didn't really know where I was gonna go next. And um I still had a job, but it wasn't going to be the same. I knew I had to go somewhere else. So I was really nervous to um, go to the ringer and go anywhere because 
I'm not a person that likes to jump. I, I like having it. Like I was at the register for four years. Like I don't, you know, I don't just go from place to place. Um, for me, the thing I was nervous about most was like, what will my editor be like? And, um, that's honestly been the best part of, of being there is, um, so my editor is Matt Dollinger and, he's actually the one that told me to write this LeBron piece. I would have never pitched that. I never look at a current event and say like, oh, let me write about this. You know, I'm more player profiles. And Matt's just been pushing me out of my comfort zone in the best way of like, hey, you are capable of writing about a phenomenon that's going on in the news. You know, you should add that to your toolbox. And so that's been really cool. Like we are really close and he makes my work better. Um, so I was really, really happy when I got paired with him because he used to edit Lee Jenkins and Chris Ballard um, at SI. So I was like, oh, my God, my long form heroes, you know, so I'm in the right I'm in the right place. Um, but, yeah, it is it is really cool. Like a lot of my um, a lot of my colleagues do really interesting things. I think the thing about The Ringer is they come up with interesting subjects. It's not always about you know, who are you getting? It's just this conception of unique ideas. And I I haven't really seen any other place do that. Um, So it's really interesting. Um, I really like it. And for the first time, I'm on the same time zone as my coworkers, (laughs) because we're in LA. (laughs) I can't tell you how many years I were. I mean, with Bleacher, everyone was in New York. And so, you know, and this was the Trump era. So like, you'd wake up and be like, what has Trump destroyed? What is happening in my work life? Because they've all been up for three hours. So it's it's very nice to just be in a West Coast operation right now. Oh yeah, that, <laughs> that sounds good on your end. I I mean, it, it's, it's funny too, because I have a friend, uh, Brian Waters, who works with the ringer as well. He, um, he does the wrestling uh, podcast, but he just told me that, you know, as an East Coaster, as a Baltimorean working, on West Coast time, it feels great. It's just, it's beautiful. And honestly, he, he enjoys it so much, but you know, I, I listen to the ringer podcast, like religiously. I mean, whether that's wrestling or NBA or, you know, Bill's podcast, I mean, he, that's definitely a go-to of course. Um, but everybody just, just seems like they're, they're using podcasts to tell long form stories. And that that's something I've really enjoyed. Um, you know, Logan Murdoch and Roger Bell, I, I feel like they've done a great job of that where they're, you know, Roger's giving an anecdotal uh, experience that he's had as a player. Logan's giving that same experience as a writer. And I mean, it, it's just blended together perfectly. Wozni Lambrey, um, I love his writing too. I uh, love his work. Um, same thing with Rob Mahoney, Sirot, uh, and 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 Sierra, and of course, um, if I'm not mistaken, J. Kyle Mann as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, all of them do so many different things. And, you know, is that is that something that you would like to do in the future is tell your stories through that medium as well? Yeah, you know, I've I've pitched them a couple podcasts um and they haven't worked out, but I am going to keep pitching them because I really want to do that. Um, We talked about that when I joined. That was a goal for me. So hopefully you will see one at some point. Um, It's it is a I'm not gonna say a dream of mine, but it is something that I it's something that I really want to do. And it's I want to challenge myself and I want to see how I can put my long form skills into that kind of writing. You know, we wrote a pilot. podcast for me like I wrote the script and it didn't end up working out but it was a really interesting experience of like first of all like I'm the narrator that's so different for me like I'm finding out something that's so different like if you notice in my writing I'm not in there the only time I've been in there was Australia and Lithuania for the two Lamello stories because my editor made me do that the first time around and I thought well the second time I'll just continue it but I don't like being the main character. I I don't want to be anywhere near the spotlight. Like I I like being in the corner and watching and observing and you know the story is my subject, but I think with podcasting it will pull me out of my comfort zone a little bit and let me um you know let me feel comfortable with my own voice and telling a story. So maybe that's the next step for me and I really want to do it. So maybe this will 
this will manifest it, this conversation. <laughs> that would be great. Um, <laughs> well, of course, Miran, it, it was it was a pleasure having you on the podcast. Of course, um, you know, we'd like to hear you have your own one day too, for sure. Um, and and number two, uh, where can we follow you at on Twitter? I mean, it's pretty easy, right? Yes. If you would like nerdy writing things, I'm just kidding. But yes, I would definitely have nerdy writing things. You could find it at um, at Mirin Fader. So M-I-R-I-N-F-A-D-E-R. As you know, I have just started an Instagram about a decade late. So if people want to find my work there as well, same handle. And I worked really freaking hard on my website, which is just mirinfader.com. Please acknowledge that. Uh, it took hours. I didn't know how to do it, but I finally finally got it up um, to where I want it to be. Well, thank you so much. And we'll definitely have to have you on in the future. Anytime. Thank you. Thank you.